Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and curious individuals. And of course, I say that with the utmost respect. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. And I am pleased as punch today to bring you our first customer guest, developer MVP, Andrew Alboridor. How are you today, Andrew? Hey, Chuck. I am awesome. Thanks. Great. Welcome to Breakpoint. And of course, before I begin, we get into the technical stuff. I always like to get to know our guest. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, I live in Brisbane, Australia, as you may be able to tell from the accent. Um, I currently work for an insurance company. Uh, I'm actually taking a new position starting next week. So you've sort of caught me right at that transition period. You're getting um, out of the developer business? <laughs> no, no. Another senior developer role. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. It, it still involves service now, I hope. 100%. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. You get to live the dream. Mm-hmm. And how did you get to this position? Like, What, what kind of schooling did you have? Um, So I have always been fairly interested in technology and um, specifically web technologies. Like I remember grade eight or nine in high school, I was building websites with Microsoft front page and then, um, yeah, a long time ago. I mean, not that long probably compared to some people, but still a while. Um, You can't see it on the audio podcast, but I have punch cards right here. Those are mine. That's how far back I go. Yeah, I'm not quite that far. I think my dad tells stories of punch cards, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was very interested in technology, always have been. And um, uh, throughout high school and uni, I actually studied game design at university. I was sort of thinking about being a game developer, storyteller sort of person. And then um, after I graduated, I found that there were not a lot of jobs in Australia for game developers. So really, I started... Yeah, no. Um, when I went into uni, Brisbane, my the big city nearby, was sort of the new game design hub, and it got uh, all shut down and sold off while I was at university. So come graduation, there was no jobs. So I started a um, interviewing for service desk positions and got something there. And you wanted to stay in Australia because obviously, you know, there are game designer and game implementer. Uh, jobs elsewhere in the world yeah i mean I, I have family here i've um i got married when i was 21 so um i'm like my wife was here and we didn't really want to leave so yeah I, I wanted to stay in brisbane okay and when you're not at work what do you enjoy doing uh more technology stuff really i i enjoy i've been doing a bit of um you know jamstack the new technology um javascript apis markup markdown i've built that for my blog um and i've been learning a lot of uh yes 2020 sort of stuff mm-hmm. using Firebase and building some side projects with that. Um, otherwise, it's gaming and dealing with my kids. I've got a one and a half year old and an almost three year old, and they're a pretty big handful. I'll say they are. Yeah. So your your technology passion is somewhat dampened at times, but 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I get up early and I deal with the kids and then I go to work and I get home and we have dinner and by the end of the day, you're just sort of collapsing on the lounge. I assume you're working from home like most of us these days? Yeah. And my new position is actually 100% remote, so I'll be working from home a lot. And having the kids underfoot a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I Luckily, my office is fairly separate. So um, there's no real interruptions, but um, I still get the occasional, oh, can you come upstairs and help me change a nappy or something like that? <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, let's, let's also go into the Wayback Machine and tell us how did you get your ServiceNow start? What's your origin hmm, story? So I, I think my origin story is a fairly common one. Um, I was on Service Desk. I had been on Service Desk for a few years and the... I think it was a state government organization that I was with, were like, oh, we're getting a new ITSM tool. We're going to ServiceNow from BMC Remedy. And we need somebody to put their hand up to be the admin. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I have some JavaScript experience. Um, I'm interested in that sort of stuff. And I'm really sick of answering phone calls about rebooting computers. So I put my hand up and sent away to the admin training course and I enjoyed that. I got the certified system administrator and then of course was thrown straight into the deep end of developing all of the fixes that needed to happen to the platform. Do you remember what release that was? It was Geneva. Okay. Fairly yeah. recent in ServiceNow history. <laughs> sure. Like, it, it, yeah, it, it could have been newer, it could have been older, but um, about four years ago, I think. I know Eureka was 2014 Fuji was 2015. Geneva, I believe, was late. Uh, I'd, I'd have to check Jay Spenson's site to remember or my Evernote. You know, the dates are it was there somewhere. April or May 2016, I think, okay. I started. So, yeah. I think that uh, 2016 was right around the time Helsinki came out. So you might have been going to Geneva right before Helsinki. That would make yeah, sense. We, we okay. went live on Geneva and then upgraded to Istanbul later on. And what was the first application or significant modification you made? What are you proud of that you can say, I built that? Yeah, I was thinking about this um, not long ago. And I think one of the first things that I actually built start to finish on the platform was a bi-directional integration using emails. Um, we had a uh, vendor that had ServiceNow and we had just gotten ServiceNow and we wanted to have some kind of ticket integration where, you know, a particular type of incident is logged um, on their side or our side and the notifications go each way and they keep them relatively in sync. Um, of course, I'd only been working on the platform for maybe a couple months. So I was still very fresh. Um, I remember myself and my coworker who had also started as the admin, we started parsing the email body line by line before we realized that the platform actually did that for you and you could just step <laughs> into the variables with a dot. Oh, I think we were on a conference call to the partner or the vendor that we were working with and they're like, oh, did you know you could just, you know, email body dot whatever. If it's got a colon, it'll pick it up and we it blew our minds. It was amazing. But um. Like thinking back, it was a pretty big piece of work, really, for someone who hadn't been on the platform that long. I was just thinking about that because as we record this, I'm working on an integration series and I got to the part <laughs> about email. You know, technically, email is an integration. You're receiving hmm. something from a person or a third party system. And I, I immediately turned around and went, well, if I can do this in an inbound action with the you know, email.bodyundertext.foo, I said, 
mm-hmm. should be able to do that in flow, right? No, not today. Yeah. So I was going to oh. write a, I'm, I'm working on a custom action that will take that body text and then use a dynamic output to tell you if it will only pass valid fields. So you pass it a table and say, I want to parse the body text, but only tell me if you find things that match my field names and then return the values in the data pills. So it's gotten a little tricky. I'm almost there. I need like one more Saturday mm. to finish this up. But <laughs> I will awesome. contribute this back to the community when it's done. And then hopefully, you know, we get an actual implementation of it in the in the platform. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's a, it was a fascinating thing, like you said, when you discover some of those things, or instead of body underscore text, there's a body underscore HTML. Well, there's the rest of the content that <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to parse. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, that gets interesting. Tell us about the term Fladvocate. Where did that come from and what does it mean? Yeah. So I have, I, I remember being at a, um, might have been a now at work or something like that a couple of years ago. And they demoed Flow Designer for mm-hmm. the first time. And the the use case that they had up on the screen was like, a new person joins a group and we send them a welcome email or something like that. And I remember everyone kind of looking at it and being like, Oh, I don't know about this. Um, And I was the same, you know, change is scary to developers. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we kind of had that. I don't really know about it. And then I took it back to um, our instance, which I like to keep up to date to play with all the new features that are coming out. Um, I think we upgraded to London at patch one. And one of the first things I did was start playing with flow designer. And I realized that it is actually a really powerful tool. And I really love how the actions and the, the way that you build in flow designer kind of forces that code reusability. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to think about your inputs, you think about your outputs and you have that real sort of visual flow from start to finish of what's going on. And so I really like flow designer and I've been championing it for a while. It was actually during a live code happy hour where I think Brad and Andrew were talking about people who didn't buy into it or didn't use it. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm a flow advocate, which is Fladvocate. <laughs> and that's where it's taken off from. You also have a, a nickname on the live coding happy hour. Do you care to share? Yeah, everyone calls me upside down, Andrew, because I'm from Australia and, you know, the water spins backwards and we have dollary dues and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> don't tell Craig Step the water in the toilet goes the other way. <laughs> I don't think that was me. He asks that of every Australian he meets and I'm ready to punch him in the face. <laughs> when I'm sitting next to him on a cruise and he asks that, like, no, you didn't. He does it as a joke, of course, but... <laughs> It it uh, elicits a response from me. Let's see. Mm. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Now, we talked earlier and you had mentioned that you created an employee termination app and some integrations mm-hmm. for that. So what was the process before your app and, and maybe some of the pain points around that? Sure. So one of the things that um, my current employer, soon to be previous employer, um, was really feeling like that they're growing really fast something like 20 percent a year or nice yeah a lot um and obviously you have technology that is there to try and sustain that growth without increasing your headcount and 
employees leaving the business, which happens, you know, pretty frequently, mm -hmm. is a big time sink for the people who are processing these request items. Like they'd have to go through, they'd look at every single piece of access this person has, make sure they back it all up in case, oh, they're actually not leaving. Um, put it in holding until they've left, um, then go through and do half an hour of manual work of disabling and moving and active directory, account, all this sort of stuff. Um, and so I said, look, that's a fairly simple piece to at least start the automation journey of that one, mm -hmm. if not complete it. Um, and so we sat down and we worked out what every single person leaving the business would need to have done, um, mapped out the process a little bit, and I built a flow attached to a new catalog item that gets approval from the manager of the person who is leaving and then waits until the date that they've put on the form and at 6 p.m. on the date that they're finishing up, automatically disables their Active Directory account, backs up all of the security groups they had, disables their um, email account, disables their Slack account, all this sort of stuff, and then drops a job into the uh, service desk queue that says, hey, this person has left and here's all the stuff I've already done. Um, you need to go through and fix up some of the stuff we haven't automated yet. Did you run into any issues around security from the IT people? I mean, if a manager puts this in, say, a day before or two weeks ahead and says so-and-so is leaving, sometimes terminations are well-known. Someone says, thank mm -hmm. you, I've been here for 40 years, it's time to move on. Other times, they're not so well-known and somebody is getting terminated for possibly you know, reasons you don't want to discuss. Did you yeah. did you have IT people going? Oh, guess who's leaving tomorrow? I didn't know. <laughs> no, did, um, or did you did you I put in any special I, security to prevent that? Or was that just a hey? You you're in a privileged position. If you find this information out, please don't share. It's part of your job. Yeah, I think there's the unwritten rules of service desk when you get that sort of stuff that comes through, but mostly if there are those kind of edge cases of somebody who's being removed without wanting anyone to discuss it, you'd probably do all of that manually. Okay. I was in a couple of those as well. And in, in certain instances, the manager would call me up and say, hey, Greg is leaving. He's going to be dismissed tomorrow. Uh, I want you to disable his account. <laughs> or, or, or they would usually tell you at, you know, he's leaving at 4 p.m. I want you to disable mm -hmm. his accounts. And I would disable. And then you get the call from Greg going, I can't log in. What's going on? Like, oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it puts you in a really bad situation. I just uh, so you know, sometimes the IT people knowing is better than mm -hmm. not knowing. In that case, like, oh, just turn it back on, you know, because they got the person who didn't disable it. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you have situations like that. I think that kind of human side is very difficult to automate. You mentioned your approach to to a service catalog item and the flow. And it mm -hmm. sounds like it crossed more than just the IT department, facilities perhaps, uh, yeah, uh, other people, the, the, the corporate security, not just the IT security for disabling badges and whatnot, I assume were involved. Is, it, it, was that the case sure. with your flow? Uh, it is only early days. Um, so it's not an end-to-end -end, um, okay. start-to-finish process, but um, we have definitely automated uh, emails to the facilities team for badges and that sort of stuff. So they get a notification when the request has been approved to say, look, this person's finishing at this time and they have this badge um, that will need to be collected. And we also had um, notifications to... 
uh, I think some other areas, similar sort of things. Yeah. You mentioned flow, you mentioned catalog and email notifications. Any other platform tools you used in that process? Definitely Integration Hub. Um, obviously, as part of Flow Designer, we had integrations into um, Active Directory. We had integrations with um, custom PowerShell actions that I've written. Uh, the out-of-the-box Slack spoke is really good for that sort of stuff. And then I think we had a pretty interesting email script because um, that had a lot of the information that was pulled out of the request item, but also um, stepping into stuff like what reception or what facilities team do we need to email based on the location of the profile. So that was all done through either a script include or a scripted mail action, something like that. And you know, you really are fully invested into this with Flow and Integration Hub. Flow Designer, it's one of the, like, I love it. I really love it, but it has its intri- intricacies. Oh, intricacies. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's the one. Yeah, it, it has its little quirks. Um, there are often problems that you'll come up against, especially as you're pushing the boundaries of what it can do mm-hmm. that could stop you from being able to complete the thing. I, I know I was building a software automation piece where I needed to do some fancy approval logic where it needed a manager and then it needed a GM. But if the GM wasn't part of the technology, then it needed to go to another GM to have that approval, like all this sort of right. stuff. And I, I spent about a day trying to get this fancy approval logic working in Flow Designer. Eventually gave up, and honestly, it took me about half an hour to do it in Workflow. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, it, bits and pieces here and there. Um, you do have to sort of jump back to have the looping, to have the more advanced ifs, and um, merging back into a single task based on previous conditions. That sort of stuff is definitely a workflow thing. Um, but yeah, I, I I will only say that on the fact that I did put a lot of time into Flow Designer to do it. Like, I love Flow Designer. I will try and do everything in Flow Designer. But yes, there are situations. Are you finding you're building out a library of custom actions that you, you, you go, yes. I'm going to build this and I'm going to reuse it. I know I'm going to reuse it. So it's kind of like you're... An, an analog to your script include library of handy yeah. utilities. You've got, you know, maybe they're not in global, but they're in some scope that you go, there they are. They're available. Yeah. I know I'm going to use them. I, I have a spoke that I call the custom action spoke. And yeah, I've got some different categories in there. One for service catalog stuff, one for PowerShell integrations, that sort of thing. I definitely want to... Um, take some of that stuff that I've been doing uh, specifically around date time conversions Mm -hmm. um, and make a public spoke um, that I upload to share and then have probably GitHub and have people do pull and push requests. I know Hacktoberfest is coming up soon and that's a big thing. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, that sounds like good topic to discuss at a developer meetup too. Like, let me share Mm -hmm. what I've got. What could you see being added to this? and get that crowdsourcing going. That's wonderful. Yeah. You mentioned you built a system status page. Tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this was one of the first bigger start-to-finish applications that I built at my 
current job. Pretty much what happened, I had we had a ServiceNow rep come in and they were showing a service portal and sort of, oh, this is what you can do on the platform. Um, we'd just gone live. We had a fairly basic service portal. And he was like, oh, yeah, look at this university from America somewhere that has this really cool status page for all of their services. And my manager saw it and he's like, I love that. I want that. And of course, I, being the developer, was looking at the out-of-the-box one going, this is this is really different from what we have currently. Um, I haven't really invested heavily in service portal widgets myself. I don't know Angular. What am I going to do? And over the period of about two or three weeks, I was able to uh, sort of reverse engineer this public-facing website um, into service portal and i built a whole bunch of custom apps and uh, sorry custom um widgets widgets that's the one and then bundled them into an app and we released this thing it um, completely changed how the uh, system status page works it's got all these notifications based on updates it's got a button that lets you subscribe to every single service all at once um really cool and we published it out to the business and yeah it's it's been a real hit Um, and then I sort of spoke to my manager I said look this is something that a lot of people could use can I take the code that I've got and publish it to share and he's like yeah you know let's be part of the community yeah yeah and so I did that. I took it. I migrated it into my PDI. I scoped it up properly, um, fixed a few little issues that we had for our own implementation, made it a bit more generic, and then uploaded it to share. And I think I've had a couple hundred downloads from there. I've had people reach out on Slack and say, hey, I've, I've used your app. It's really cool. What about this? Mm-hmm. How do we change that? And it's been a really awesome sort of experience to provide something back to the community like that. It really is. I, I'm just amazed at the different places on the globe that say, I'm using your app, and you know, yeah. but I have an idea. <laughs> I was like, great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something I never would have thought of. I'm glad you you mentioned that. The, the question becomes, when am I going to have time to maintain it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can make that change and we'll put it on GitHub and you can do a pull request. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got to get my stuff on, more of my old legacy stuff on GitHub. That's And I understand that the share portal is migrating to a GitHub model. So Hopefully yeah, we'll see I that heard sometime. that. That that's exciting because being able to have more of that community yes. participation in your projects and have issues and little reminders of things that you need to go and fix up rather than just the comments, which are a bit hard to manage, that'll be really good. I'm looking forward to that. Can't say when it is yet. I don't know. Uh, even mm. if I did, I probably couldn't say. But looking forward to that. I think that's more of a 2021 developer program enhancement. When we talked earlier this year, you mentioned you were working on a Jira integration. What stage is that mm-hmm. at right now? Is it an idea? Is it is this in dev or has it made it to prod or somewhere in between? Yeah, it has actually made it to prod. Um, we started fairly small, like as you should with most integrations, I think. You take um, a basic idea and you put the minimum viable product into production and then you see how it works and how the team's using it. Um, we use the out-of-the-box Jira spoke um, to create a basic incident issue integration. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I did run into a few things because like most places, we have a very customized Jira that runs on-prem and it's an old version. And um, there is a lot of 
uh, fandangling that you have to do to get it to work properly. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty good experience. Well, good. You, so you took the out-of-the-box spoke and then extended it for, did you make some new actions or what was Yeah, um, a lot of cloning of the old actions okay. and then updating them for fields and stuff that didn't quite match. Um, it was very much a test it, see what the error is, go and change that, test it again, see what the next error is, go and change that until you have... Uh, something that works in your particular uh, situation. Are you taking advantage of the dynamic inputs and outputs that are in some of the later spokes? Yes, they, they are there and they work. I haven't built one myself okay. yet, um, but they definitely save a lot of time. Yes, they do and make your, mm -hmm. your actions much more flexible, even if it's on platform, just using that rather than a third party application. Okay, I think I know the answer to this, but just in case there's a different answer, what is your favorite part of the Now platform today? <laughs> oh, it's probably workflow. <laughs> it's it's not. It's Flow Designer. I knew it was going to be something strange. Flow Designer, yeah, Flow Designer Integration Hub, um, and uh, I'm very keen to see the new Process Automation Designer that sort of hooks in that. Um, uh, fulfiller level yes. of all of those tools. Um, I think I, I, when I saw that, I was initially like, oh, I don't really understand how it all links together. And then I had to play around with it in my Paris PDI. And although it's still quite buggy, it's very new, you can sort of see the power there. Like you understand you're going to be able to write flows, you're going to be able to write actions, which take inputs from the users right there and then and automate a whole bunch of stuff in the background yeah so and there's, then the there's still sorry, a yeah. job for the developers okay don't think this mm. this negates the need for us to build actions and flows and you know maybe some of these more complex uh, processes these flows not the flows what are we calling them uh playbooks in process mm -hmm. automation designer and then of course there's the visualization uh capability in playbook in, in in the workspace to be able to lay out yeah. and people to see oh we're in stage two step three and step four is going to come next and it needs this so very very easy rather than uh, we, we really didn't have this in flow mm -hmm. that easy for the end user to look in and say where am i and yeah. workflow was okay as long as you didn't write a spaghetti code, you know, with wires crossing <laughs> over wires. Yeah, that, we've that all been there. That became an art form in itself, right? How can I write mm -hmm. this with as, as few crossovers as possible? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I really like being able to have the end users see the process and understand where they've come from and where they're going to. That's something that has been hidden up until this particular tool. Yeah, I'm really excited about where that goes and how it's going to fit in in other in future releases as we continue to mm -hmm. enhance it. It's like you said, it's a 1.0 product. Okay, I'm going to steal a question from Robert Federer. He can sue me if he wants. It's not going to do any good. <laughs> but what would you like to see added, changed, or improved in the developer tool set on the Now platform? Sure. Um, I think I touched on it a bit before. Uh, I find like when I'm using Flow Designer, um, for me, the the process of debugging and sort of working out step by step when you're building stuff yep. could be a bit better. Um, if you think about a, like a script include or a business rule, something that's code, um, you can actually sit down and you can put in breakpoints. Uh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, and you can step through line by line and see exactly what's happening in the current state of what you're working on. Um, if you're working in Flow Designer or some of the more visual tools on the platform, it's a bit more difficult. Um, it, it, it's kind of a good and bad thing. Like if you're talking about the builders or community developers, mm -hmm. they may not need to know all of that really advanced troubleshooting, platform logs, that sort of stuff. But um, as a developer, if you're building a new action, if you're building a flow that's got you know script steps, then the the troubleshooting, the debugging of that can be a bit difficult. And I think that's something that I would like to see improved a bit. Well, you have to revert, if, like you said, it, it, you have to find a script step or maybe even inject a script step to do a GS info and start logging the old-fashioned mm -hmm. way. But uh, yeah, I could see from a from a visual standpoint. You'd say, pause my flow here and then inspect. What do the data pills look like right now? What are the values yeah. in those? That's an intriguing concept. I like that. Mm. I like that. We'll have to yeah, that, that way you can sort of catch those little errors where it's like, is that data pill at that point actually a sysid or is it a glide record or is it undefined <laughs> yeah that's the ones that get me say like, ah oh, it's null again what happened oh well the rest <laughs> the rest response came back with an error message and you're trying to parse valid data out of the error message and oh yeah that one gets me all the time yeah, yeah. is there anything else you'd like me to add that i may have missed Something that I've really enjoyed over the last year, is, as you mentioned at the very beginning, was being nominated for the um, developer MVP mm -hmm. 2020. That's it, it's been awesome, and being sort of pushed into like by will, not by force, <laughs> um, a bigger part of the community and um, uh, interacting with a lot more people has been really, really great. And uh, it, what have you reaped from this community? Uh, you, has it influenced your, your career, your branding, your name recognition? What, what's come out of that? From oh, a couple months after I got it, I remember I met somebody at Brisbane Meetup who I hadn't met before. And he's like, oh, you're Andrew. You used to work on my instance. You used to work where I worked. Mm -hmm. And you're the MVP. And oh, how do you get time to do all this stuff? And then you have um, a, a million and one LinkedIn um, requests. <laughs> and you know, I, I can't say no if you've got service now in your uh, header. That's a Absolutely. yes for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it has helped with my career. Like honestly, uh, this new job, um, whether it's been because I'm an MVP or because I spend the time to actually stay up to date and participate in the community, which keeps you learning and keeps you on your toes, all those random questions that you get from people. It's like, how do you do this really strange specific thing? It's like, well, that, that's fun. Let's look into it. And that really keeps you learning the platform and keeps you diving deeper and makes you a better candidate in my opinion all right i'm going to throw one at you that we did not discuss in this in the pre-show where what would you consider the ideal job for now or, or where if you want to take that where would you see yourself in five to ten years uh I, I, oh, those five to ten years questions are hard, eh? Because they you know, are a year ago, we we didn't have a global pandemic. <laughs> I would never have said, <laughs> "Oh, working from home." But um, things change. Uh, where would I see myself in five years? Like, I, I from what I've seen from out externally, I love the culture in ServiceNow, and obviously that's a big part of what I do. Um, I 
thoroughly enjoy joining in the live coding happy hours and following along with yourself um, whenever I can catch you and you're not streaming at midnight my time. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> we'll have a discussion about that. You'll, you'll fix it. <laughs> if, um, oh, if I was to get a position like a developer advocate, that, that would be awesome. Um, I think that would be right up my alley. But um, yeah, it's so hard to say five years from now. Maybe I'm just another senior developer that's staying current with the community and doing my thing. Could you let the listener know how they can get in touch with you? Sure. Um, I'm all over the place. I have a website, andrew.albreydoor.com. Um, that's got my blog and I write a lot, bunch of ServiceNow stuff. Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, ServiceNow community, SN Dev Slack, if that hasn't had a shout out yet, should definitely have a shout out. Yeah, we um, get a bell on that one too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm big fan of Slack. I'll be in random or maybe the Flow Designer channel. Surprise, surprise. Um other than that, uh, I think I'm presenting at CreatorCon this year, uh, a bit later on. Um, so you may catch me there. All righty. Thank you again, Andrew, for talking to us today. And thank you, dear listener, for joining us and getting through all of this. We'll talk to you again real soon. See you later. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening. Hey.